And here's what I've learned. When I became a Christian, my, my hormones didn't go away. Okay? Christians are horny too. It's true. Can I have an amen? Anybody want to testify? I'm horny. Jonathan Corona is going to edit that clip out. And that's going to end up somewhere at some point in time. Damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high, high school. Because my best days would be in the past. I know, I know, I know, I know. Looking back, it ain't all bad. But damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high, high school. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Unlearning Youth Group, where the podcast where we take a look at all the things we learned back in youth group. We find the good unlearn the bad, and figure out where the heck we go from here. We haven't met before. My name is Jonathan Crone, and we're joined, as always, by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. Hey, what's up? I feel like every single one of these past couple of episodes, I mean, you know, especially in the month of February-ish, has been uh, has been some of my favorite topics to talk about, except one. But uh, yeah, anyway, I'm excited about this one, too. Like, I could, this is another one that I could just sit and talk about forever. So this is going to be a good episode. I, I can feel it. I can feel it already. You can feel it. We're, we're, feel not, it. Well, we're three seasons in. So ho- hopefully we know what we're going to be good at and what we're not going to be good at at this point. Last week was hard. We weren't sure how that one was going to go, sure. but we got through it. And uh, I do just want to, on the front end before we get, the story that's in the clip at the beginning of today's episode, that is the high school pastor that I interned under. And it was from a talk uh, 10 years ago this month. When he said that in that talk, uh, it's part of about a two or three minute clip that's absolutely hilarious, but he looked straight back at me. I was sitting at the sound booth and we locked eyes and he just starts laughing because he knew at some point I was going to do exactly what I just did and pull that clip out and put it at the beginning of an episode. So um, Chris, if you're listening to this, thank you and I'm sorry. Today we are closing out season three. We are closing out our relationships month and you probably clicked on this episode because it was called perverts and princesses, because that's just a weird name that I've got to give credit to my friend Wes for. He's the one who came up with that a while back. But the topic is that in student ministry, our messaging was that girls are pure and fragile princesses while guys are just dirty, dirty perverts. We told guys that they couldn't control themselves but girls had to keep themselves pure. Girls couldn't have sexual attractions. The idea that they could have any type of sexuality was never on the table. They just had to be pure and holy and clean while we made guys' sexuality their entire identity. Yep. So Eric, you told me a story this week about a pastor friend of yours. Can you share that with us? Because I think that describes this topic better than anything. Yeah, so this was a guy that um, that man. He really got me back into ministry after a season, uh, uh, you know, away, and I started volunteering with him and things like that. Like, you know, great, great friend. And we were young, and and he and his wife had, were were just, you know, had just started into uh, the having kids stage of life. And uh, he had a daughter, and and then you know, a couple of years later, he had a son. And he really, he sat down and he told me about the differences, like. With his daughter, he felt like uh, he had to kind of hold her back and protect her. It's like, this is my daughter, but it was very much like, and if you're not watching us because we're not doing this on video, but he very much shoulder 
blocking. This is my daughter right here. Maintain your distance, right? Like he had, he had to, he felt like he had to protect her. Meanwhile, when he had his sons, they were like Simba. It was like, this is my son. And like, he would just shove them out to the world and look at him, look at him, look at him. And it was a very stark contrasty difference, um, between someone who felt like my daughter needed to prote be protected and my son needed to be shown off and showcased. And I have a daughter, I have a son. So I get that. I get the feeling of that. So today we're wrestling with, I think something that is as much cultural as it is spiritual. So I want to acknowledge that. And the other thing I want to acknowledge on the front end is there's this big elephant in the room when we talk about sexuality with teenagers is that we are two dudes talking about the subject. We, we can't fully understand the female experience or that we can talk about what we have heard and what we've been told. So when we talk about allowing girls to explore their sexuality and encouraging them to own their feelings or desires, I do want to acknowledge that it can come across weird mm -hmm. because two guys in their thirties talking about that is just awkward, but we're obviously not wanting to say that male youth leaders should have been having this conversation with young girls. That's creepy. That's wrong. We don't want that to be happening. So I feel like I'm having to put these disclaimers on the front end, but I want people to know where we're coming from as we talk about this. Yeah. And, and I'll just jump in there real t quick too, because I've had conversations um, with my wife and other uh, women in ministry who, are, you know, whether they were volunteers or, or ministry leaders who have said this too, on the, when it comes to the purity culture topic for women, a lot of times it was because of the leadership that passed on some of these uh, thoughts and dogmas and different, you know, rules and expectations to the female leaders. They would say, I was probably more damaged in the purity culture from other female leaders than I ever was from, you know, hearing it for, or just as much as hearing it from male leaders from the pulpit. So uh, again, I, that's not my lived experience, but I think it does give credence to this idea of like, it's pervasive. It's not just some youth leader in his twenties that's being a bonehead and talking, you know, and, and, and causing issues too. it. There's a cultural problem in some churches because uh, you know, leadership has passed this down and female leaders are having conversations with their female students in a way that, um, you know, we need to talk about. Like I said, it's, it's so much more cultural than it is just spiritual. Yes. Because I don't want to get too terribly political or anything like that. But one of the things that we have to talk about when we talk about this topic is just the way that women are viewed in our society. Our society has set up a space to where men get what they want and women provide that sexually. That's the way things have always been taught. And so because that we view girls as something to protect because we have to protect them for the guy that they're ultimately going to pleasure and give things sexually to. Whereas guys, they've got this, they need to sow their seeds to make it a little awkward here before they find that one they want to settle down with. And that's just a wrong approach to have when it comes to treating both genders equally. Yeah. It's, it's a, uh, it's an underlying sense of control that I see 
as well, because just like you talked about from the sexual nature, in addition to that, if you think about how culturally it, uh, the idea of marriage and relationships and male, female, um, dynamics has grown over the centuries, literally like the idea of a dowry and arranged marriages. What was that set up for? That was set up to create one specific alliances between different families. If you were in the middle class, you know, upper middle class and, and upper classes, but also it was, it, it was an economic transaction as a, as a father, you had daughters and daughters were, uh, they were ways to, you know, get or receive money. You know, that it was, they had value to them because you would either be paid for a daughter or you would have to pay a doubt. You know, there would be thing, there would be an economic transaction there. And so if as a father, if you did not quote unquote, protect the chastity or the virginity of your daughter, now all of a sudden, uh, as we've talked in previous episodes, it's like they become damaged goods and they're somehow marked down. And so, you know, it's it's a it's a big issue with control as well. So it, it goes from spirituality into control, into economics, into things that where um, women are kind of seen a little bit more like property uh, than they would be someone with whom Christ dwells and delights, you know? So this is something that is much deeper than just 90s and 2000s youth group. Yes. This is a cultural and societal thing that is baked in in ways that most of us don't even realize until we start studying it. So we could spend an hour just talking about the history of why this is the way it is. But I want to shift us a little bit to the spiritual side of things, to the spiritual side of perverts and princesses. And at the risk of yet another Rob Bell reference, because I feel like we reference him way too much on this show, but I do want to mention the book Sex God, because have you ever read that? Oh yeah. I, I was actually looking on my shelf to see if I had it on this shelf, but I don't, but yeah, I, I have read it. I've, I think I have two copies. In fact, I've got, I've got, a, I've read it a couple of times. Me and my wife read it when we first were like, I think after we got engaged, we read it together to talk about things because when it comes to Christian sexuality, that book is by far one of the best I've ever seen. And it has informed a lot of my views on these issues. So even though I strongly disagree with Rob Bell on some things, I think he he did a really great job on this one. So when it comes to perverts and princesses, the trap we fell into is what he called the angels versus animals idea. We assume that all boys were merely animals. Animals eat, sleep, and have sex. In the book, Bell writes, quote, animals are going to mate because it's in their DNA, their blood, and their environment. So while that's pretty much, it's pretty close to what all guys want to do, by only viewing boys as animals, we assumed they couldn't be more than hedonistic animals looking for their next fix. And we assumed they couldn't control themselves at all so instead of teaching them to transform their minds, we taught them to bounce their eyes. On the flip side of that, we assumed all girls were purely angels. Angels don't ever think about sex. They're always pure, always having good thoughts of God. They never do anything to tempt anyone else. So in youth group, we talked to and about girls in this way. I think part of this is because youth group was most often led by men who probably felt really awkward even tiptoeing around 
the sexuality of 16 year old girls and rightfully so because that's awkward and inappropriate. So this, in this angels versus animals, this perverts versus princesses debate, we really stripped away the humanity of both guys and girls by only looking at a part of them. The other thing is there's this idea of, you know, it just forwards this idea of like hunter and prey. So literally in um, one of the churches that I worked at, and this was back, man, this was like before I started working in in, uh, youth and student ministry. I mean, this would have been late 90s. There was a, a, a message by the pastor and he gave this relationship message. And he, in his sermon, um, he equated men and women to being like Sylvester and Tweety. If you think about the old Looney Tunes cartoon. Okay. So it was Sylvester and Tweety. Men were Sylvester because they were always ravenously wanting, uh, wanting Tweety. And Tweety was the euphemism for, you know, whatever sexual peace that they would receive from, uh, their spouse in this case. And so they really like played this up and there was a whole marriage conference on it. And I'm in high school, I think at the time, and I'm sitting here thinking through it. And, but the pastor was talking about men are like Sylvester. Women are like Tweety. Tweety's always running away from Sylvester and Sylvester's always trying to chase Tweety. And it was just like generalized to the point that it became weirdly fixated for me. I mean, I remember, uh, weirdly enough, Men and women in the church would would get these little Sylvester and Tweety, I don't know, figurines to kind of help That's them weird. have conversations around marriage and around their their relationship. But man, think about how damaging that is to say in front of a group where you have 12-year-old, 13-year-old girls and boys, where now all of this thing that we're trying to rail against in culture right? Hey boys, you need to, you know, not this and not that, not the other. But then in church, we're like, Hey boys, by the way, when you get married, you're gonna be like Sylvester and just go after Tweety, put, you know, tie on the, the necktie and go after the thing. And it's like, what, what did we, that was so weird. You know, I wish you guys could see the face Eric made when he was saying that. Cause it was highly entertaining. Well, so, Hey, I guarantee you will never watch once you feel you will never watch a Looney Tunes episode of anything <laughs> ever again. Cause next time you watch Sylv- Sylvester and Tweety, I mean, this is again, this was like 13, 14 year old Eric at this church. Well, man, I don't know, maybe a little older at this point. It's like, uh, uh, it's a, uh, Sylvester is now the male sex organ chasing after Tweety, who is now the female sex organ. Uh, we're if sexualizing Looney Tune cartoons. Let's not do that. Because in the church, we sexualize everything way too much. and That's right. So to kind of bring us back, though, this was something else that I saw that, that you and I went back and forth on this one a little bit. But there was a, a creator on TikTok. I think Zoe Taylor is her name. But she did this great TikTok where she uh, actually said, OK, what if we present? It was like, what if we presented the conversations that female leaders have with female students at was 12, so year old, 12 years old? But she did it from the male perspective. And it was like once, once the roles were reversed and she was talking to, you know, me as a male through these things, one of the best lines she said, she said, you know, we, we need to make sure that we're protecting uh, the purity of, uh, you know, of our female friends. But also think about your mom and think about your sister. We need to protect their purity, too. And I mean, like I threw up. So you a shouldn't bit be wearring back. shorts. You right. Yeah. I threw up a little bit in pants. the back of my, my throat. It was like, don't wear those sweatpants. Because, you know, you don't want your sister to stumble. And I'm like, what? What? But once it's put in that perspective, 
now my eyes were open in a new way. And it's like, even, even at 38 years old and how many times I've had to kind of repent and unlearn and whatever you want to call it for some of the things that I was a part of earlier. But now it's like, oh, it even opened it up to a new way to say, ladies, like, I'm sorry that that type of stuff has happened to you in the church because man, it's messed up. It is. And I've got it wrong in so many ways before, which is why I love these episodes where we wrestle with stuff that we get that we've gotten wrong and we're trying to figure out to bring it back around. I did put this quote in our notes. Uh, It's from that same chapter of sex God from Rob Bell. And it, it defines the issue with this angels versus animals approach. And he said, when we deny the spiritual dimension to our existence, we end up living like animals. When we deny the physical sexual dimension to our existence, we end up living like angels. And both are destructive because God made us human. And we touched on this last week in that homosexuality episode where we talked about how we stripped away the humanity of the entire LGBTQ community. And I think in much of the same ways, when it comes to this conversation with guys and girls and their sexuality and their hormones and their urges and puberty and all those things by relegating them to merely perverts or princesses, we strip away their humanity because we only look at one portion of the way God created them. And I'll give you, I'll give you a personal example. When I got married, because I had been taught, hey, Jonathan, you're just a dirty, dirty pervert. You need to stop all those sexual thoughts. You need to bounce your eyes. You need to take those thoughts captive, blah, 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 blah. All those things that are good and pure, but because that was the only thing I was taught. When I got married, it took me months to get comfortable with the idea that I could actually partake in some of the animalistic urges that that, that was allowed then. I had to unlearn all these things that I had been taught for at that point in time, 25 years. But I remember having conversations with Nicole after we got married because she was expecting things to just be all everything all the time because that's what she was taught it would be like. But she didn't understand that I'm having to reprogram myself because I was taught I was a dirty, dirty pervert. But now suddenly in the context of marriage, that's okay. Yeah. But that was, that was a, a switch that I suddenly had to flip that I struggled with. Yeah. Literally the first Sunday after your honeymoon, when you walk into church and everybody in the church is like, Hey, how was your honeymoon? Yeah. Oh, you guys did it. You know? And you're just like, okay. So like, it is a weird switch from, from going to like, Hey, you have to repress all these urges. Um, And then the other thing is like, if you've ever been heaped on, like we talked about that analogy of like, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be like Sylvester, you know, or I'm just ravenously going after this object. It's like, man, now all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's okay in marriage and you should do it. And think about how damaging to other perspectives uh, that, you know, other women have too, where it's like, they went from everything. And we've talked about this in previous episodes too, but it's like where everything is protected and I'm not supposed to give anything away and I'm supposed to hide everything. And now, no, no, you have to be open and available. And in fact, you have to be like, uh, you know, giving yourself freely to your husband. What? What? So those things are very weird. Not just that. 
the idea that the female could have a higher sex drive than the male, the wife could have a higher sex drive than the husband. You mean Tweety we, can chase after Sylvester? Not happening. What? I when we when we talk about perverts and princesses, girls feel like something is wrong with them if they end up having a higher sex drive than their husband. Right. And men feel less than if they end up having a lower sex drive than their wife. Right. Both spouses in the marriage end up feeling like something is wrong or broken inside of them because of the way we have positioned this their entire lives growing up. 100%. The other aspect to that too is even like once you are, like my wife and I, we're going to be celebrating 15 years of marriage this year. We've been together 20, uh, now at this point, 21 years this year. And it's like, there's still a sense of when we're around certain family members or other things like that, you know, it still feels like we're dating. And we have to be careful, you know, there's still a weirdness of if we stay over at an in-law's house or something like that of, Hey, well, that's your bedroom. You know, it's like, Oh, okay. All right. You know, and it's, it's weird, but why is it weird? It's because we've been conditioned we make it weird. so many. And then, and then there's no like healthy conversations around what this looks like. We put the purity on such a pedestal that we can't have conversations about it. We can't treat people like real people. And we say God designed us this way, yet we are so uncomfortable living out that actual belief. But it's like anything because we end up turning it into a binary where you are either pure or impure. Once you've done something or once something, ha there's a line, once you cross it, it's sin, you know, or once you cross it, not allowed. And there's no, there's no room for nuance. Not necessarily that there needs to be nuance in conversations about sin, but I think overall, and this season especially, we've talked about this uh, overall, but we take complex and nuanced topics as the church. We generalize them so that way the general public can understand it. Because again, if you're preaching on a Sunday or if you're giving a message, you've got multiple backgrounds in the room. So you have to present these topics in a general way. Then what does that do? Those generalizations turn into dogmas. Then what we do is we double down on those generalizations, generalizations saying, no, this thing that used to have nuance that we've generalized, this is the thing that applies to everybody. And then what it ends up doing is it ends up serving nobody because we have not taken into account those individual situations that the nuance was there for in, in the first place. It's as if we said, God created you uniquely. He numbered all the hairs in your head. He knows you by name. Oh yeah, but by the way, you're exactly the same as everybody else and everybody else's situation applies to you. So uh, yeah, uh, we're putting this thing on the pedestal and if you screw up, then you're damaged goods forever. That's like that. I think that's why you see so many people in our generation going into whatever they want to call deconstructing their faith. And that's why we're doing this to try and unlearn those things to pull out where are the dogmas and generalizations that need the nuance in the conversation. So as a part of that, one of the things we do like to do is try to find what was the good intention. We screwed up. Obviously we, we have messed up. We have done things that ended up having bad results. But when it comes to this idea, what do you think the good intention was underlying the bad approach? Obviously the good intention is here. There, there is a massive amount of damage that can happen in relationships. 
Okay. So I know even bringing some of this up for some people is going to be triggering. And I know on both sides, uh, because some of the ways that we approach this emotional damage in youth group, um, may be bad as well, but like it's coming from a good place because if you've ever had uh, a relationship where you went too far too early, you know, that there's a certain piece of that, uh, that kind of never goes away. I mean, to be quite honest, there, there are people in my life that like i think about interactions that I've had with them or that affects me to this day. And so if I were to tell my sons or if I were to tell a young person um, about what they should do sexually or about what they should do physically in their purity, yes, of course it is. Hey, there's a certain way that uh, if you go down this this path uh, that you can, whatever you want to call in that area is sin. But the bottom line is it will be much tougher for you if you make these choices in order to have a loving, trusting, fully formed marriage as God intended. So being able to say, how do we help our young people avoid or at least be able to see with eyes wide open what those potential pitfalls can be so that they can have a full and fulfilling marriage in a loving, committed relationship? Um, I think that's good. Uh, and, and, and I, I'm going to do that with my children. I've just got to figure out the right way to, <laughs> the way to it. do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, I think part of what we're doing this, this show for is so that we could try to work through how the heck we are going right, to yeah. parent and exactly. lead our kids. So our kids can see it in 10 years and go, nope, that was stupid while they're talking to their <laughs> therapist about it. They'll just run the tape with their therapist. See right here, this is why I'm screwed up. And then they're like, oh, yep. okay, now I get it. But uh, and then they'll, the they'll start a podcast too, like, called Unlearning What Our Parents Unlearned. Right. Yeah, exactly. The other aspect to it is like, I think um, as damaging as the conversation to women, like, oh, you've got to protect yourself and you've got to, you know, it it leads into the uh, R word culture around like, well, what was she wearing? Like that is bad. At the same time, there is personal responsibility for things that we can do to protect ourselves, whether that's emotionally, whether that's physically, whether that's other things like that. So I think there is room in there nuance wise that when we pick it out individually, uh, there are good points within that that get, um, I mean, I guess to use the topic, that get perverted into a way that never should have in the first place. It all comes down to protection. Yes. That was what our parents, our leaders were trying to do. They were trying to protect us from sin. They were trying to protect us from bad decisions. They were trying to protect us from doing things that would be hurtful and dangerous. Yep. And for that, I can say thank you. Thank you for putting in the effort. Right. I had a comment on a TikTok video recently where a mom said, I did so many things that I thought was right that I wish I could go back and apologize to my kids for, because looking back, I realized it wasn't great. Yeah. And I don't think there was a lot of guilt. There's probably some guilt there, but she, I mean, she didn't deny the fact that she was doing it for their protection out of love. Right. And I think that for the most part, the majority, yes, there's the power piece to it. Yes. There's the control piece to it. But I think the majority of Christ followers in the church who were doing this, were doing it because they thought it was what was best to protect the people they loved and cared about. Right. And I, it, the issue is, yes, that's the intention. Um, and I mean, I'm thinking of that, that song from uh, Tangled, Mother Knows Best, uh -huh. right? So there are those situations where you have 
uh, bad actors. You have people who uh, utilize the good principle and pervert it for their own um, issues. So again, for anybody that's getting upset and wants to like turn it off because they're like, yeah, well, my mom was this and she did. I understand, right? Like I, I get it that there are people that even good intentions turn bad or they use and abuse the umbrella of good intentions to continue their control, their manipulation, their own personal issues. Got it. But I do think it's right that we have to acknowledge that in general, the root of why we tried to do this uh, or why it's been done in the in the church, the ultimate good intention was, like you said, the protection of kids, but also what I've heard in churches all the time, protecting your future relationship. There are damaging ways to do that. There are issues with that as well. But, you know, you've, you've probably heard it growing up. It was like, are you praying for your future husband or your future wife? We could dig into that to another episode. But the intention behind that is like, yes, I want to invest in the full and fulfilling relationship that I have. And so there are certain things that I choose to do or not do because of that. So what do we do now? Where do we go from here? How do we raise our kids better? How do we lead future teenagers better than the way we were led? Yeah. Uh, that's a great question. Honestly, I would love um, feedback from users because I think we need to go back to what we originally talked about. We're two males in our thirties um, that I know I don't have the answers. I think I can see the problem. I can see the problem from one perspective that I have I can see the good part to what happened at the same time. Uh, this is definitely one area where I don't have a solid solution going forward. I would also say that I'm limited in my perspective because of, you know, my, who I, who I am and the perspective that I have, that it's not something, uh, let me stop and say this. I think males in power have contributed to creating the problem. So therefore, males in power are probably not the best ones to come up with the solution going forward. Yeah, I think we have to do a lot of listening. I think in safe ways, we need to hear the stories of how this has impacted women and how it's impacted guys as well. Yes. We, need to create, we need to create some space. So I think where we go from here, we've got a lot of learning and unlearning to do. This section of the podcast, we normally tell the listener, hey, you should try doing this. You should right. do this technique. And there's some stuff we might throw out here. But ultimately, I think before we do any of this, we just have to acknowledge that maybe what we did was wrong yep. and listen so that we could learn in the future what to do better. And to be completely honest, this is wildly uncomfortable. Yes. Thinking about sexual conversations with my five and six year old makes me uncomfortable. Your kids are a little older than, and I know there are some people who are probably listening to this who have already had these conversations. So they're either cringing because they know how awkward they were, or they're laughing because they know what's to come. And they, they're laughing at the fact that I have to do this in the future. We talk a lot about living in the tension of left versus right, conservative versus liberal, liberal, uh, angel versus animal, pervert versus princess. The truth often is found in that tension. The gospel is found in that tension more often than not. 
we've got to recognize it's going to make me wildly uncomfortable, but there will be a day where my daughter wants to put on makeup and wear something that makes herself feel good. And it's not necessarily about going out and trying to woo some boy. Right. I have to teach her protections around that as well because of our culture and what our culture does. But there's a difference in, we have to be able to separate protecting versus putting it as part of their identity. We can protect our kids from the bad things and the brokenness and the sinfulness of the world without telling them, hey, you're part of the problem or this is your responsibility. We say, hey, this is allowed, but our choices have consequences. And the consequence of this choice, unfortunately, could be that people will treat you this way. That is wrong the way they do that. We're trying to protect you. But it's not saying, hey, because you want to wear some makeup and something that makes you feel good, you're insert pejorative here. Yeah, or and there's a difference like between arming your daughter or, you know, arming your children with the tools and the knowledge they need to face the problems head on. There's a difference between that and locking them up away in a tower. So think about any fairy tale where that goes on. And I think where we tend to err in the perverts and princesses side on protection, especially when it comes to purity culture, really anything Christianity wise is people would rather say, I'm going to lock you away in a tower to keep you away and protect you from all those things. But it's like, no, you still locked somebody away in a tower and kept them from experiencing things that they need to in a positive way. So I, I a hundred percent agree. I mean, there, there's a difference when it comes to the makeup thing or the, you know, clothes thing of like also helping protect you uh, emotionally and identity wise that if I'm not wearing this, maybe I'm less than as a female, like again, so much of it comes back to identity. And teaching our kids what their true identity is. We've been going for this for like 30 minutes. And I think at the end of the day, that's where it comes down to is we have got to do a better job teaching kids their full identity in Jesus, who God made them to be, what he calls them to. And so there is a calling of rejecting sin, rejecting these things. There is a modesty to it that's not just clothing wise, There is a protect your brother, protect your sister piece of this, but there's also another piece that God created you with these body parts. He created you with these desires. There were sexual desires before the fall. So by nature, the desire and the thought is not the sin. We have to teach kids the difference in that and the difference in temptations versus actual sin. And these conversations are uncomfortable. They are awkward. But one of the things I've always tried to say, I said this all the time to my volunteers when I was in ministry, is that we have to embrace the awkward so that other people don't have to. And as parents, as leaders, as whatever our role is as mentors, it's our job to embrace those awkward conversations so that the people we're leading don't have to. And I think ultimately that's the better way to protect them. I agree. Yeah, there was a book that I had just remembered uh, from, I don't know when it was, when it was printed, maybe in the, in the early 2000s, but it was from Rick McKinley uh, called This Beautiful Mess. And he really talks about getting back into the presence of Jesus and talking about how uh, our religious experience in the church should be much more like a garden than it is like a hospital. And when you think about, if you're a gardener, you, you think about how messy organic stuff is. 
how things how things grow, how things die, how things recycle. And when you really understand the difference between truth and love, or you know the tension between truth and love, and when you understand sin and grace, it becomes much more of a messy, beautiful garden rather than some sterilized hospital where we're trying to continue, you know, protect people from things that they shouldn't have. And instead, stepping into saying that, hey, we are all uh, unique and individual people and God loves you no matter who you are, where you're from or what you've done. And when we have those same sorts of eyes, we start to accept and understand uh, and get comfortable with the mess and knowing that that's what's going to create the beauty that God intended and and not uh, putting together these dogmas and these platitudes and, and rules on people that uh, that were never meant to be there in the first place. To take that one step forward, in a garden, we have to know there's going to be weeds. There are going to be other things that grow around the plants we try to create. And so we have two options. We can put down a bunch of toxic pesticide to keep the weeds away and protect the, the plant from the weeds the downside of that is that the plant's not going to be as healthy either because there are toxic pieces that are going into it. It might keep the weeds away, but it's not going to be as healthy. Or we take a more organic approach to it and know that the weeds are going to come and we're going to pluck those and pull those out as they come. We're going to be watchful for the weeds. We're going to protect from the weeds where we can, but we know they're going to happen. And as we parent, as we lead, as we mentor I think a healthier approach to what we do includes us knowing that we can't use the pesticides anymore. We have to know that weeds are going to come, create a space that when they do come, they are pulled pulled away and they are pruned so that the fullness of the people we're leading can bloom and they can come to their healthiest, best version possible. And that really comes down to are we as Christians or we as fellow believers trying to encourage growth in other people's lives or just going out to try and eliminate weeds? Because when you try to just eliminate weeds, you're going to eliminate the good things as well. That's a great place for us to stop today. Thank you so much for hanging out with us and being a part of season three of Unlearning Youth Group. If you have a story for us to use at the front of a future episode, you can email those to hello at unlearningyouthgroup.com. That's one of the hardest parts of putting the show together. So we will gladly take any story that you have. We're planning to come back in May with season four. We're kicking around some ideas right now on what we want to do with that season. Uh, There's going to be some hot takes available. There's going to be some making fun of bad Christian culture, probably uh, like the power team and Bible man. Uh, So if you want those, when they first come out, go ahead and subscribe to the show, rate and review us so other people can know that you liked it. Share it with a friend. If you think you'd enjoy it, I would love to continue the conversation with you as we move forward over the next couple of months. I'm at Jonathan underscore Corona on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Eric is Eric W seven one two on Instagram. Hey, and if you want some business tips, Eric is incredible at that on TikTok. He's business coach Eric, and uh, we'll let you lead in a in a more business oriented way there. But thanks again for hanging out with us. We will see you in a couple months. And here's Eric singing the outro.